This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, difficulty with the relationship, or just suffering from low self-esteem. If so, then BetterHelp wants to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and to help you. You get to talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network, and they give you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just need to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Join the 2 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And there's a special offer to Nowhere to Be Found listeners. You'll get 10% off of your first month, but only if you go through the link or type in betterhelp.com slash ntbf for Nowhere to Be Found. That's better betterhelp.com slash ntbf. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. And you can find the link in our show notes and on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com. Previously on Nowhere to Be Found. Yeah, um, it was not like your typical photo booth you might find in a bar. I knew Michael was gone because I couldn't feel his energy or his presence anymore. I actually woke up to people yelling his name and looking for him. Everyone loves the drama, I think, of having a villain. Last week, I tried to remind everyone why we're here. Listening to this podcast and following the twists and turns of this story as it unfolds, it's for Michael. Michael's had an astounding impact on this community and people all over the world now. We need to remember that he's the reason we're here. Tonight, we're diving deeper into the events from the camping trip he was last seen at. But before we do, I want to tell you about a lesson I learned recently about confirmation bias, because I think it's extremely relevant to what's going on right now. In 2013, I heard about a rich art dealer in Santa Fe, New Mexico, named Forrest Fenn. It was said that he had hid an actual treasure chest full of gold, valued at over a million dollars, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. He hid the clues to where his treasure was within a poem, kind of like a riddle. My husband and I were captivated by this story and this infamous poem with the clues to the treasure. We quickly memorized this 24-line poem, and that's where my troubles began. I would see the words to this poem everywhere I went. My husband and I would discuss a possible solve one night, and the next day I would see parts of it on billboards, on license plates, in books I was reading my son. I literally thought I was going crazy. That was confirmation bias at its strongest. It was showing me what I was already looking for. That's what our brain does. Shows you what you want to see, and hides things you don't. It's a pretty dirty trick. It's extremely relevant to this situation in so many ways, but the big way I'm seeing is in character judgment. 
Let's say, for example, you've already decided in your mind that somebody is guilty, innocent, or withholding information. Your brain will look for any evidence it can to back your already decided narrative, and it'll throw out or overlook any information that may aid the opposite opinion. Which is why it's so important for us to really think about what the facts are and what's speculation. The easiest way for me to do this is to take an opinion I have. Let's say, for example, we use someone named Joe. So let's say I've decided that Joe, in my opinion, is guilty of something. To defend against confirmation bias, I need to put myself in the shoes of someone with the opposite opinion. Someone who thinks that Joe is innocent. So I need to purposely try and find reasons to believe that Joe is innocent, and actually try. If I can find some reasons why he might be, I need to give those just as much value as the one stating he's guilty. If I can't find any reasons why he might be innocent, then I guess I can put a little check mark next to, did I check for confirmation bias? It's not the easiest thing to do, but it is important. I'm your host, Amanda Papineau, and this is Nowhere to be Found. She uh, hit me up, not the same night, but uh, informed me that they were going to be having a birthday party for her daughter, who's June 21, mm-hmm. and asked me if I'd like to go camping. Told me where we're going to be at, which is Hobo, and I've been up there, um, that place has always been special to me. Uh, I actually asked my ex-wife to marry me in the swim hole, where everyone's swimming at down there. Uh, the, the woods are, are home to me, as yeah. John Muir said, mm-hmm. and she knew that, and she knew that I would drive a car, and it's hard for me to get places in at that time and during the COVID stuff, if people were getting, you know, start crazy. Uh, we headed out to Cottage Grove and went to her place in which a Miranda and a Josiah was there. Her roommates, Josiah, her friend is Miranda. And we packed up some other stuff at the house and uh, proceeded to head up to the Hobo campground. She picked you up at 11 o'clock and you yeah, guys... Yeah, in the morning on Sunday. On Sunday, okay. And then you guys go back to her place in Cottage Grove, you said, and picked up a couple people? Oh, we were all in different vehicles. I was with Michelle, um, so three vehicles, four people. From there, you guys head out to Hobo? Uh, we arrived at Hobo probably around 1700, 5 p.m., uh, 5 by 30-ish. And there was three camp spots on the north side of the road that were already occupied. And so we went right there in the middle, right there in the gut. And... Nobody else had been there yet. Uh, there was the, the big parking lot on the right that they currently had uh, about seven vehicles in there uh, with multiple people. And uh, there's already a, a larger group of people camped there. Uh, but we all found out that um, eventually um, that everyone was either going to be leaving. But uh, the rest of that Sunday afternoon was getting camp set up and starting a fire and um, associating the others around us. Okay. So at that point, the people who were already there were they there for the same party that you guys were there for? Or they were just happened to be camping Negative. there? 
everybody was late that Monday getting up there. Monday night was the big night of the party. And that's when the morning, you know, everybody started rolling in and we started taking over the camp spots and set up tents while the other people were leaving. And, and uh, we were doing a lot. There was a lot of, um, a lot of movement and getting stuff going. And okay. uh, once everybody started to show up, it was sort of a, well, finally everybody's here. Let's get this thing going and setting up a dome. And Yeah. Did you guys bring the dome? Negative. That came up on on a uh, on a bus. I believe it came up on the yellow short bus, or it was in a pickup that one of the people who was uh, in the convoy came up with. Those guys were. I I was under the impression. Let me make this clear. I thought. Well, I was under the impression that all of this was like a professional setup. You go somewhere. I mean, I've done this in Southern Oregon. Um, I've, I've done festivals before. Um, okay. I've ran. I've done VIP for stage events. And uh, I heard, I, I was under the impression this whole event would be catered from Falling Sky Brewery. You were under that impression yeah, from? Uh, questions from a show. But it turns out to be um, at no point a professional event. This is completely an amateur setup, a bunch of kids partying in the woods who, you know, plug stereos in and, and DJ, and that's no disrespect to their talent. But Sure, but you were, told, a, you were told it was going to be more of like a organized festival type of thing? With catering and a whole, like you were expecting something grander. Professional private party. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, 40 to 50 people. That's all I was hearing the whole time. And that's about as many people as I ever saw up there one point. Unless that Monday night there was coming and coming and going, people coming and going, of course, um, mm-hmm. showing up or what. There's a lot of people up there on the Monday. All right. So, so you guys get there, you set up. So tell me about Sunday night. Anything eventful or anything worth noting for Sunday? Oh, not on Sunday night. No, we just, uh, we all pretty much turned in and sitting around the campfire and Quiet. having some beers. Okay, <laughs> so Sunday night, no no problems. Everybody's calm, cool. So then Monday. Well, that's that's when everybody started to show up and um, there's a confusion. People, you know, people at the Dome were late. I hadn't met the twins yet, but um, Josie's friends or, or Astoria Catman, mm-hmm. aka Josie, which is the birthday girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she was supposed to be heading up that day too, and uh, there's quite a bit of delay. So when everybody did ri- arrive, there was confusion and a little bit of chaos and hectic. And I assisted with the, setting up the generator because the young man was around the stage uh, during the yellow bus. You know, the generator sitting on the ground with the exhaust facing um, dual fire sources in the woods. You know, so I put it up on on uh, stones and rocks that I built and got that off the ground and went and helped set up the dome. Uh, try just to help out the best way I can because Michelle looks stressed and I was like, well, this is your daughter's birthday. I'm going to help you. It's the 21st birthday. We're going to make this happen. My daughter's 17 years old. When she turns 21, make it happen. Yeah. Got to go big well, for the 21st. With getting, help, helping these people get up there. And at that point, it was still daylight. And once everybody got done, everybody's a little more relaxed. And, uh, I would say that Monday morning, everybody um, started showing up in the form that they came in probably around 9 or 10 a.m. Um, a couple of people show up here, a couple of people show up there. Um, as other campsite people who were leaving, were leaving, these people were setting up and saying hello. But I'd say around, it was after lunchtime that pretty much a parade of people showed up, uh, including the dome, DJ equipment and all that. Okay, so then you guys are setting them, setting that stuff up and... From there went to, the music started playing and that, that got everybody going and, and uh, motivated. And, and then everybody started started getting getting a party on it's twenty first birthday. Food was getting going, everybody's thirsty and uh and we started started associating with people and 
I did not know anybody up there besides Michelle before this event. Um, mm-hmm. She was really kind to me up there. So was Miranda and uh, a couple other people were conversational, but not a lot of them. Okay. I was, like I wasn't in that group. I didn't feel welcomed up there, honestly. <laughs> really? Not really. I mean, the people who were nice to me were nice to me. Okay. I have a little bit of social anxiety issues. Yeah, that's kind but of a weird... That, I was having a good time with the people who were communicating with me and uh, running around. And... So it sounds like you kind of had your own mm-hmm. little group as well. Not necessarily a group. I was sort of you know, just meeting people randomly because I didn't even realize it till the end that there's a Portland group, a Eugene group, and then now a group from southern oregon i didn't know there's three groups i thought this was all all birthday invitees people who knew the birthday girl or knew uh, of someone who what the event was for but it, it didn't come across that way in, in the uh, end <laughs> oh okay so you kind of felt like there were people there that didn't even you could know tell there was clicks i wasn't part of it i was part of a campground over there right uh, i'm not trying to when i say that i felt this out of place up there because I wasn't part of the birthday. Right. So there were even people there that didn't know the birthday girl. She wasn't like the common denominator. Is that right? Uh, I didn't really get to know people enough to, um, no, that was never really brought up. It was, it was more of at that point, it was a party in the woods for her 21st birthday. Yeah. And so anybody's intent up there, I don't know who they knew or, or who, uh, they were associated with. Um, okay. I found out more about, people involved afterwards and sure. connecting dots and how everything aligned yeah. up. Yeah. So Monday, people started to drink, maybe in the afternoon at some point. Oh, like I said, the music started going, everybody started partying. Um, the question of the amount or prevalence of drugs in the area at the time, or whether legal, recreational, or a controlled illegal substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yes, there was plenty of drugs in the area. I only sought acid and cocaine, personally. That's not a factor. That's a useless factor. Everybody knows there's drugs up there. Useless mm-hmm. factor. Point is, where's Michael Bryson? Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but when you see a young girl walking around, you know, I'm an addict. I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. There's a party. Shit, yeah. But you see a girl walking around, putting a little spooner up everybody's nose, and she just keeps going around. Just like, hey, here you go, like a fairy, like a drug fairy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I asked the DJ, I was like, dude, can I get some of that? And he's like, no, you don't want this. It's ketamine. That's how I knew it was ketamine. Mm. He's like, no, this is ketamine. And he knew that I wouldn't want that because he was one of the only other people I listened to the whole time up there. Mm. And he actually said, he actually told me it was ketamine and I didn't want it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for letting me you know. Quite a few people up there knew that I had an issue with addiction. And so he was nice enough to actually not. You know, to tell me what's up. So the DJs seem pretty uh, normal, pretty sober. A couple people being complete idiots. Well, I'm not sober at all by any means. I mean, I mean, you look like a zombie. Oh, <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Yeah, those, those some of those kids were just, uh, yeah, <laughs> some of those kids were tore up. Okay. Um, I said it to the investigators who spoke to me that I've honestly never witnessed so many people talking or doing drugs in one place like prevalent in one party really it's not like you could see it it wasn't sitting on the table it wasn't al capone i mean anybody who has ever partook in recreational drugs or any type of you know a social event activity where these things can happen sure um should know that first of all addiction is a real thing Mm -hmm. it's a horrible thing and i've suffered from addiction a lot of my life whether it's alcoholism or um, many other things. There's okay. not a lot that I haven't done in, in respect. I mean, cocaine okay. almost killed me. 
twice when I was in North Carolina back in the day. Mm. At one point in my life, I just had to stop doing all that stuff. And so and I, I knew what was up here, and I you know acid was present, LSD, and I heard everybody talking about ketamine. Yes. And ketamine, to me, with, with, uh, I used to be a nationally registered emergency medical technician uh, with the National Registry. Mm-hmm. Uh, ketamine, to me, is a veterinarian-used drug for anesthesia for animals. Okay. I thought it was a horse tranquilizer. I was under the impression it was a tranquilizer. Special K, what they use um, to, I guess you would say, uh, what do they call it? Like, oh, roofie, getting roofie. I thought that was ketamine. Regardless, I didn't <laughs> understand what that was at the time. Now I have read about it. Yeah, me too. And, good Lord. You yeah. know, people have been struggling with drug addiction for years. You know, these, these drugs are all from our ancestral line. That, that's a good point to make, too, is anybody who judges an addict or an addict or a user mm-hmm. put themselves in their shoes because everybody's done it for decades and centuries. The thing that that, has, uh, react, that I've experienced during this whole process in the social media forum is that um, I find out later that I've been blocked off stuff. Um, I did friend people on Facebook after I left on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got back into town, um, I'd written down people's names because there was no signal up there, and I don't ever usually have my phone on me, and I don't wear a lodge. And so, um, the two weeks later, week and a half to two weeks, when I got back from two other camping trips that were prearranged, so the people who think that Warren hiked out of that campground at 3.30 in the morning and hiked 27 miles to Cottage Grove is ridiculous, because I've been a pro backpacker for years, and I do 20 miles a day, and it takes me uh, almost 10 hours. Sure. So. And that's with a pack on. Yeah. Okay. I want to stop that in the ground right now. I didn't leave that campground that morning. Okay. So let's go back. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry I, I went on a tangent there. Um, let's go back to Me too. the timeline. <laughs> so we left off Monday night. Everything goes fine. Tuesday, Sunday night, everything mm-hmm. goes fine. Everybody right, files. Yeah, so on Monday night, um, I'd gone back down from the main main camping area. Uh, the main birthday party area in which the dome was was being bagged, the stage, which the stage was just the table. There was no stage. It was a table with stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked down into camp and this, uh, come to find out a lady from a campground down the road who had recently separated with her baby's daddy uh, because she threw a propane bottle at him while he was holding the baby. Um, she was all irate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, most of that time after, but when I came back down to the campground, this lady and uh, one of the other party goers were fornicating um, <laughs> in the open on a on a picnic table, and uh, I, I brought her over to the tent and set her down, looking over the river, mm-hmm. which is right in front of my tent was right in front of everybody else's shit, and I started to talk to her like, "What the hell's going on? Like, are you okay?" And because every you know, she was. Initially, I observed her as being verbally responsive and coherent, and, but mm-hmm. I quickly found out this chick was trouble. Okay. And so, she, um, um, once Jonah was looking for her again, we heard her, and, and uh, she got out of the tent. Well, this continued. The one thing I remember is this chick um, took my cigarette out of my hand and pulled out her breast and started milking herself to put this breast milk on my cigarette. Wow. And they, she did that to a lot of people throughout the night. So this kept going. And like, she heard about this chick whipping out her breast. And I'm just like, oh, my God. You know, this happened to you guys, too. And we're like, oh, this chick's crazy. What the fuck is she on, you know? Um, but it, it escalated because uh, she she kept um, harassing people um, sexually, verbally, 
um, yelling at name, yelling names at people, profanities, very aggressive, not welcome at all. She was asked to leave multiple times. Uh, and then she, I was sitting around the campfire with Miranda on the north side by our tent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josiah was over there too, and a couple other people who I do not recall because they were either distant away or mm-hmm. um, I had met them yet. And and she walked up with no pants on and just put her um, lady parts mm-hmm. in Miranda's face. And that's when I lit up on this chick and I was like, that's it, you need to go. And Josie, birthday girl, came over. And Josie was tired of it too. And I, that girl got an asshole. Josie whooped that girl's ass. Really? Got her ass across the ground. Yeah, mopped her. Just <laughs> like one of my friends did in the media. I saw, oh yeah, Josie put down the muscle on this girl. And if you ask me, that, that, that woman who, uh, had, had it coming because. Well, that, yeah, that's I a mean, lot. That's a lot to do. Just like. She was, she was threatening people. And so once people, and she actually asked, where's my purse? I'm going to grab my gun. Okay. And that's when shit got real. And then she got her, got, her, got mopped with. Do you know her we name? done with it. This, this uh, quote-unquote crazy... I do not. Um, she was staying down by the bridge. Um, the Bryson family knows that they drove by on the way up. And, uh, um, yeah. She came, she actually went, um, she disappeared for a while. And then in the middle of the night, I'm in my tent and I hear her screaming and she actually walked over to the people, the bystanders, the people who were out in our party that said the noise would be okay. She walked into their camper in the, in the hours of the morning naked and started yelling at the woman for being the person who cheat her husband who cheated on her. So she wasn't even there anymore. Oh my God. Psychologically. She was gone. She was nuts. I so mean, that's Johnson unit shit. What did they do? The people who, the, who they, sh- she walked into their camper where, where her, whether it was the, their child and then the end the, the the mother child of the dog. So these people were expecting family with they with their grandson grandkid. Okay. And so those people were in that RV and that woman walked in and and just oh my goodness. I came out of I mean it was nuts. I had a flashlight. Um, my my black diamond headlamp is still missing which Josiah took and Josiah also took my um rechargeable solar panel light bulb and uh to try and help out and that's the last time I saw that. Uh-oh. Um, he came back told me, oh, yeah. He's like, that's gone. He's like, don't plan on getting that back. And I'll, I'll a couple hundred bucks on that. But, um, You're like, well, why yeah, can't I get that uh, back? Okay, wait, sorry. So what time was it when that lady went into those people's campers? Like the middle of the night? It was more like almost, you know, I'm, I'm middle of the night to me is 10 to midnight, maybe 2 in the morning. This is more like 2 to 4 in the morning. Time okay, stuff, okay. Wow. Yeah, that it, was, is it was way too late to be that going insane. in. I woke up. I've never heard anything. Okay, so you're thinking... There's still a lot of people up at that time. You're, you did? See a lot of people up, did you say? Oh, yeah. That party went all night. Okay. I mean, that music didn't turn off until probably 05, 05, 05.30, which is around sunrise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you won't get sunrise until probably... Well, you won't get direct sunlight until probably 9 a.m. there because of the mountains to the east, but... Uh, that party went all night long. It was a good 21st birthday for Joe. Okay. And so everyone kind of witnessed that. That was like something that wasn't just like a quiet event that you happened to notice. Like everyone yeah. knew and everyone was kind of talking about like what the hell just happened. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I, I, from what I heard, just, uh, just, I had gotten her back in the pickup, um, his own white truck. And then he, he didn't show up until Tuesday. He didn't show back up. He stayed. I don't know. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah, I guess but we can't he, say for he sure, but he just didn't come back up. 
Okay, so... Yeah, I came back along the way. And then Tuesday, daylight sun came up. Goodness gracious. Uh, there was... That place was trashed. That place was trashed, of course, you know, thinking after a party. But me, I grew up, uh, you know, my, my, my stepdad, my father, and the man who raised me, was a woodsman and a logger from Roseboro and Sir Camp. And I grew up in the woods as a Cub Scout Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Uh, the one I was very, very bothered by the amount of trash. It was just a shit show. Yeah, and I've heard so that. I'm just, you know, everyone's dragging ass. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, I think so. Most of us have all done that in the morning. We wake up and regret uh, the party and the amount of party we've done the night before. Yep, definitely. And, and so then around uh, 1030 in the morning, that uh, service officer showed up. And he was uh, one vehicle, one officer. Man had both vest on, sidearm. He had the sidearm. Um, hand on sidearm unsecured at all times because there were dogs present mm-hmm. and he did not know what the amount of people up there what he's getting into I'm sure um, because a noise complaint this is what's odd to me Amanda is that the noise complaint why that gentleman came up came from a campground a mile and a half down the road to the west yeah that was very I'm specific like, huh. it didn't come from the people this lady just came into their camper and, and was trying to look for pistol moments before and yelling I was like wow so that, that shocked me. I was like, hmm. Um, I didn't speak to the gentleman personally, but this is what I heard from Brett. That, that, that noise complaint was from a mile and a half away. Right. That's what I said like, on the podcast. Half, there's, there's no houses a mile and a half away from what I understand. Uh, I don't know if at 1.5, but who's got a, who's got cell service at a mile and a half? You don't get cell service until you get back down to the row, the row river intersection almost, unless you have a Verizon or a, a computer of some sort. But, um, so. I'm trying to figure out where that noise complaint comes because I figured it would have damn sure been from these people who were their their rights and privacy were completely violated by this um by this uh person who didn't know anybody there. He just came right. up and was um you know, later found out that she actually came up with Josiah. He, hmm. So uh, when the ranger got there, what did he actually say? Um, I did not uh personally talk to the gentleman. Yeah, I did not talk to the gentleman at all. Um I just know that when I, with my background training, when you see a force service guy show up with a bulletproof vest on, you know, I'm not going to just, you don't just walk up to people like that, especially if you've got a tenor on side arm. So you say, now you wait for the law enforcement officer to come to you if you've got a question for you. Okay. So you just, and, uh, uh, Michelle, um, Michelle took representation from the camp pretty much. And she went up there and she was speaking to the man. Uh, uh, this, um, from what I understood, he was more upset with the trash, the amount of vehicles and the buses. Same. And, um, and when everything's done and said, I learned that he said, all these cars need to get out. Most of these cars need to get out here. You know, there's a limit. About an hour later, everybody, everybody in the whole camp, everybody was real cool with it. They got up to trash bags and we started cleaning up the place. Everybody took that, uh, sheriff, the, the federal service agent officer's, uh, words. They, they did not take them lightly. They, they cleaned up quickly, which was good to see. I was happy about that. Uh, this time, yeah, right as soon as he showed up, probably five minutes, six minutes into it. I'd gone down to the swim hole, the same place I'd asked my ex-wife to marry me. And uh, there was a few other people down there, but Miranda went with, we were down there for a couple hours. And when we came back, that's when we found out about the word of mouth of, well, this is what's going to have to go. The music's got to turn down. And, uh, you know, down by the swim hole, you could still hear the music because it started back up after they left. But it wasn't, it wasn't, a, there was background music. It wasn't like the event had just kicked back up already and left off where it's, uh, started where it left off the night before. Okay. That music was, in my words, that music was pretty mellow. Um, I don't believe that the volume was, 
mean, all things considered, if it's big speakers out in the woods, speakers that are five feet tall, you know, you're going to get found anywhere. So right. it wasn't like it was a noisy issue or crazy okay. ass party and like the night before it was going on, but uh, um, everyone was really chill and mellow. Okay. So who went on the swimming? Was it just you and one of oh, the... Well, well, before, well, the officer was there. Oh, it was me and Miranda. And then I saw, Chris, uh, I think her name's Christy. And then Lazarus was down there. And uh, the same gentleman who eventually that night borrowed my ex and saw without my permission. And I can't remember his name. I've still been trying to find out his name. And I haven't seen a picture to acknowledge who this person is yet. But he was pretty cool, too. The guy so who borrowed the ex? Yeah. Yeah. So Tuesday night, people were partying. And I, I tried to find my ex. Uh, I came in from our campfire. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find my ex and I saw. And Where were they? I went looking for him. Oh, I went looking for him, and I was. I mean, were really they like frustrated that somebody would have took my axe and my saw because they were in between me and Michelle's um, speaking apparatus. There was a tree, okay. and I had put my saw and my axe between my tent and that tree. What? And somebody just and walked off about with a three and a half pound axe with a hickory handle. And then I, I gave him some schooling on you know you don't normally do this one because they're sharp. If you cut your arm off at that, you know I'm a medic. I'm not going to be able to save your ass out in the woods if you bleed out. That's that's my intent is that you're going to hurt yourself with my shit because one, it's not yours. Two, um, you have no idea how to use these tools properly. I mean, I saw a kid up there cutting kindling with a, uh, a maul, a six and a half pound wedge block. But I, I talked to him and this is where I believe people thought I got an, an altercation with somebody, even though it wasn't on the bus and it wasn't with Michael. It's because you know, I was certain about it and he was very listening and he was very grateful and apologized, very, very apologetic and empathetic and, and so I grabbed my axe and my saw, and I went back down to my um, camp and, where, and helped cut some more kindling and uh, um, stowed them in the appropriate spot in which they were before next to my tent, by in between my tent and that tree. And uh, that's where about came the next day my axe was found. My, my saw was underneath my tent at that point. Mm-hmm. It was underneath my tent instead of by the tree, and my axe had disappeared. Again, for the second time. Again, so <laughs> I was like, for the, for the second time, yeah, yeah. And so I started looking for it, and I went up all of those fires. There was a six-and-a-half-pound double-wedged axe up there um, with an old handle that was dried out. It's not even operatable. Uh, and I never found my axe, so. So did you go back to the guy who had borrowed it the first time? I didn't see him after that. This was Wednesday morning when I woke up. Wednesday morning. Okay. When I woke up, my axe was not there anymore. Wednesday morning. Tuesday what? night. What? I had gone back down and gotten it, and then... Wednesday morning when I got up at 8.30 in the morning. Wednesday morning, so that's the morning that Michael went missing at 4 a.m. Besides your axe going missing, was there anything that you noticed? Any fights? Was there any drama Tuesday night Uh that you heard? Not that I saw. I went to bed Tuesday night at 8 8 p.m. Oh, why? I was in my tent at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's very early. Oh, I was tired from the night before. Oh, yeah, I was mostly drained. With everything going on, you know, whether or not the party, but you know, the whole issue with this um, lady exposing herself and just the stress and drama from that. Yeah, that's you know, it's already been eventful enough. I went to bed early. Okay. Yes, yeah, I went to bed at 8 o'clock Tuesday night, and I woke up at 8, 8, 30, Wednesday morning. Okay, so there was no, and, there was no commotion enough to wake you. Was there anything? Oh, I, um, I couldn't plug in a little bit of that night because there was, there was still a lot of loud heat going into the into the morning. Sorry, you cut out a little. Did you say you put earplugs oh, in? Yeah. Oh, I put yeah, I put earplugs in at one point okay. on Tuesday night. So you would probably wouldn't have heard because it. of the hooting and hollering and, and Jordan was uh, sorry, Josiah was 
loud with this fire and you know there's shenanigans still going on while the shit talking and sure. you know, people being people yeah and if you actually want to get some sleep then uh that, that sounds like not a bad plan okay so you wake up at between 8 and eight thirty, and you come out of your tent what do you see Oh, I was just uh, observing everybody having coffee. Not everybody. It was probably five or six people. That Tuesday night, though, before sunset, um, a young man had walked up to me. I think he was the younger one there, the one under under 21 years old, about 19 years old. He was a very polite young man. And he'd asked me if I wanted anything from town because they were going to go to College Grove and do a beer run. And so that Tuesday night, um, I'd given him $20 for a pack of American Spirit Celadons and a... Um, a two-liter Coca-Cola. And he said him and pretty much four people were going into town. Mm-hmm. Wednesday morning when I woke up, the first thing I did was I looked at um, the table of people, Lazarus is over there, and uh, I asked, hey, do you guys know where uh, the kid went with everybody's stuff? It's like, you know, I, w- I wouldn't mind having a Coca-Cola and a pack of cigarettes right now. I just woke up. Yeah. And type of thing. And and I was just told, who cares? You know, they didn't They didn't even get back till 3.30 in the morning. And I'm like, why not? And they said they went to Eugene. Okay. <laughs> but now so this, where's my coke and my Now this is an issue because then it wasn't. And I'm like, okay, screw it. I'm not 20 bucks. Okay, screw it. I can get a pack of cigarettes because Michelle Edwards had um, arranged a ride back for me to town. Wow. Um, this was a little bit after because around 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning is right about when I was waking up. I hadn't even had a cup of coffee in me yet. Um, two people came into the campground, and that's when the first time I heard about Michael's whereabouts were. Two people came up. They had the dog, um, this black dog, everybody's favorite dog. Um, um, both recognizable faces to me. I don't know their names, though. Okay. Um, walked into the camp campground and was like, hey, has anybody seen Michael? And there wasn't any worry in their voice. There was no indignation. Or, you know, it was, it was just like, you know, hey, have you guys seen, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, or, you know, yeah, have you guys it's seen, just, it's casual, you know, not urgent. you know, Gumby or, and, and Pokey, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that was, and like, oh, he's probably just asleep and, you know, he's probably asleep somewhere else. And okay. your response is probably, he's Michael. Still, his stuff's still up in the woods. Yeah, his, his stuff's still up in the woods. His hammock's up there, but he's not. And that's when it was, you know, that, oh yeah, anybody could be sleeping on the ground, just taking a nap somewhere technically. True. Yeah, could have passed out some. So, what I want to know with all this information now is if 40 people saw me get in an altercation with Michael on that bus that night, do you think they'd be walking around and looking at me in the face the next morning, not asking me where the fuck did Michael go? 40 people saw me go in a fight with Michael, who I didn't know. Yeah, you would think they would definitely be asking that, you first. And I, got, I was on that bus. You think people would be like a little bit more like, oh, hey, you can see Michael? Yeah. Did you see Michael? Oh, no, he's asleep. He's good. Let's get coffee. Everybody's, you know, hitting the bomb and coffee pot. Right. So at that point, nobody's alarmed. There's nobody with a megaphone. Uh-uh. There's nobody freaking out uh-uh. saying, holy crap. I never once saw or heard a megaphone there while I was present. Not even during the party that I hear or see a megaphone, honestly. Can you identify That's just my personal recollection. any of the people? Here, bullhorn. It's a bullhorn. Right. You know, it's like a communication device in a flight deck. Right. You, <laughs> yeah, you'd hear it. You'd hear it. Yeah, you you would stop and listen. And you know, people aren't quiet on those. No, you can't people be. Party and mm-hmm. turn that up. At nice. that point, also, um, one of the party orders said that they'd uh, gotten in a car and drove up the road, but didn't see him either. And that was all I heard of that. And this is all 
adding up between what happened then and now, you know, like and connecting some dots for the Bryson. It's like, okay, if these guys didn't show up until 3.30 in the morning, the people who were supposed to go into Grant's Pass, I mean, sorry, not Grant's Pass, Cottage Grove, they're supposed to go into Cottage Grove, and they went to Eugene and didn't get back till 3.30 in the morning, and Michael got in an argument with me on the bus at 4, and 40 people saw him walk into the woods, but nobody knows which direction. What time did the people leave to go? Nobody knows which direction, right? No, nobody knows. My goodness. It sounds insane. That's what I'm saying. Like that, I don't get that. That's the first time I've heard that four people left to go on a beer run or whatever, or to get. I mean, you asked for cigarettes and coke. The young man, because I asked if I could go, and he says, "Nope, we got a full car." Because I want to get out of camp for a bit and go uh, get some air. Sure. <laughs> Do you know who and any of those four were? Like, I'm going to be in my tent, and you just come back by and drop this stuff off when you get back. Yeah. That's how it rolled out, and I don't know who the four people were. No, you I do don't. not. Do you know what, Negative. um, so like, okay, the people who everyone said went back into town, like in Donovan's. Yes, I do. The Bishop twins. Yes. I've seen them. I met them up there. And they, they were no not part of that at all. It was, Hey, you know, they weren't cool. They were snobby as shit. If you ask me, they had their head up their ass. I just really had a perception of those two women because, um, not at one point, and it wasn't a personal perception, the whole event, nothing happened without those girls saying anything before the party even was everybody got there to uh monday mm-hmm. and they were trying to set up stuff mm-hmm. and people were so frustrated because those girls were literally I, everyone's saying the twins are pissed off about something and and nothing's going to happen now they threatened to leave monday night before josie's birthday party even started who cares because Why? somebody pissed them off and something wasn't right you and know that- i've i've you know that whole I heard more people complain about those twins up there. Hmm. Not any one person in particular. I'm talking about the whole mass of people. Right, for one thing or another. But nothing was happening because the twins were pissed off again. Oh, we can't do this because the twins won't let us. Why wouldn't anybody just say, like, well, That's I'm going to do whatever I'm, the hell I want? Uh, they clearly they clearly have, because people who are doing the complaining about these emotional values coming off these two women, mm-hmm. they were all adults. If you talk to me, if I have an issue, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make you a cup of coffee, ask how you like it. I'm going to say, hey, what's your issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how can I help? Hash it I'm out. Talk this out. What's going on? Grown up talk. <laughs> if you know me, the people who don't know me don't know that, but that's how I am. And just to see so many people just like flipping out of shape over what these two girls thought, like, holy shit, that's a sign of authority. Those girls are in charge. It's like mm-hmm. mom and dad, doesn't matter what they tell you, you better do it, right? That just really surprises me, but they must I've have. I've seen them out and about twice. In Eugene, down here in the Whitaker, mm-hmm. um, they're usually down here at Taco Bore, and uh, I'd seen them out, and I saw a group of about seven or eight of them. Um, that young man who was respectful to me up there was there, and he was still respectful. Every single one of the other people besides two, two didn't even say anything, but there was, a, there was a, two hotheads in that group, because I'd walked up to them, and that's the first time... I had just been interviewed by um, Eugene Police Department, and they told me they're like, they're like, you don't work or anything because I lost my job in January, and mm-hmm. technically by VA standards, I'm 100 over 100 percent disabled and employable. But I've worked for 14 years with my spinal fractures, and mm-hmm. so um, um, no, I didn't have a job since January. And they're like, well, you are you are the local ketamine dealer we've been looking for for five years, right? I'm like, what? They're like, all those kids said that you were a ketamine dealer. You see, you were the one selling ketamine up there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Who said that? And this is the police officers from Eugene Police Department. Oh. They led their 
their conversation with accusations. Mm. You know, well, what'd you do to your knee? I'm like, what do you mean what I do to my knee? You know, <laughs> I, you know, I had a replacement when I was 17 years old. I had a surgery out of January 2017. But, and uh, I jumped off a rock up there and, and sort of taped it a little bit swimming. But it's like, how do you guys know about my knee? Yeah, how do And then they? when I went over, why, why, why Eugene Police? Out of one thing they're going to ask me is, they didn't ask me. They said, all of those people said, all the people up there said you were selling ketamine and you were the ketamine dealer. And we've been looking for him for over five years. They accuse you of being the um, ketamine guy. I don't know. It didn't feel like they were probing questions. <laughs> These people said that I was the local ketamine dealer. And then the cops put their two cents in as of, we've been looking for you for five years. But I can see how, and they, they walked up to me in civilian clothing. Um, their badges were not exposed until after they got to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it sort of shocked me, their, their um, ambiance of matters, and a professional matter of missing person. Mm. And just how bluntly their information, this is not against the PD or the officers involved. So I do have a, a background with Lane County uh, judicial system, uh, the court system, I mean. And I, on 426-17, this all ties in, Amanda. Okay. 426-17, I, I had a domestic violence assault charge filed against me um, from the DA here in Eugene. And uh, I went to jail. And uh, my, my boss at the time had bailed me out because we were installing tile shower. And he knew me. I was his installer. And I, I opted to join the Corrections Court Treatment Program here in, here in Lane County in Eugene. And that's where for uh, almost two years, um, I maintained my sobriety. And I also maintained my addiction issues. Um, and, and I have documented almost two years of all this court paperwork, and I never missed one UA, and I always passed my UA. But it, took, it was the first time in my life I had been sober since I was 19 years old. Congratulations. And, That's and I just come out tough. of a horrible marriage. Uh, my ex-wife was with other men um, when, this, when my incident happened. And it was soon also deemed that this is a big part on my end because uh, it was also deemed that it was nonviolent because it was proven that she actually staged the scene and that I was on the side of the door, which was being pushed in. And so, you know, easily I see this, and this is just for informational purposes, is I lost my firearm rights for three years, not 10, which I am able to have them now. That's how long ago yeah. uh, that happened. But I, I got into the court system and I graduated in November of 2018. Okay. So you and, felt like uh, they kind of maybe were judging you on some past stuff the officer yeah of course they look at my background of course and they sure. want to come do this stuff because i'm in the system i mean i'm a veteran it's not hard to find me mm-hmm. <laughs> here i am amanda i tell them uh you know here's my address here's my phone number and i say what type how do you like your coffee i've got death threats i have had people from all over the country write this i have lost friends from i've known from my life people who i've known for 20 years from high school have called me saying they're being harassed and threatened by people Mm-hmm. I, I had my personal friends harassed. I even had one friend move out of town. She felt threatened that much. I don't know how to get that to stop. I honestly, I feel so bad about He's, that. I don't know. I don't think I, I mean, one I person I feel bad can't. for the people who actually use the value of their information and, be, and become emotional and start inflicting pain upon others. I feel right. sorry for those people too. Right. Because, because they're being misled. Mob mentality. Let's talk about it. I know those words are being thrown around, but I don't know if people realize how powerful the mob mentality can be and the science behind it. MIT did studies on how the mob mentality has taken form in the online world, 
which is where it's relevant for us. In an experiment, they put two separate social media posts up. Nobody from either group could see the opposite post. On group A, they had fake participants go in and put negative comments on the post before the test subject had seen it. And in group B, they had fake participants go in and put positive comments before the test subject has seen it. I'm sure you can see where this is going. The results are absolute. The researchers found that prior ratings, or comments, created a significant bias in individual behavior, both positively and negatively. People were 33% more likely to agree with a positive or negative comment than to comment alone. So that means we're one-third more likely to say something like, yeah, that guy does suck, or, oh, I love that picture too, depending on what's already written in the comments, not on the post alone. So what are we going to do about it? To defend against mob mentality, what we need to do is be very conscious of what we're writing on Facebook. Being aware that this is happening is hopefully a good start. It's just another filter we should all remind ourselves to use before making a public statement, like a comment. Make sure your comment is something you truly believe and feel will be adding to the correct feel we want this community to have. You don't have to take my advice, but our group will be a lot more pleasant if you do. I do have information on why, though, my name was so amplified. From yes, event. well, I'd we'll love to hear that. that. And, uh, because when I'm personally pointed at by 40 people, That's... I'm not the man that runs away from the fire, Amanda. I run into that fire, and I see if there's anybody in that house before it burns down. That's why I don't run from it. Good I go right, I look here in the face, and I run to that. That's a, a Marine motto, and you can talk to any veteran. Okay. And here's another fact well, about it. Okay. Real quick, like, these people who pointed their fingers at me, they used my military background against me in their matter. They used my medical background against me, my emergency medical license. Mm. They used the fact I'm a force service volunteer and that I have skills with saws and axes. They used the fact that the woods are my life and my home. They used my passion. I want to ask them, why didn't you wake me up then if Michael was ODing? Why didn't you come get me then if there was an issue? Because if everybody knows this much information about me, why didn't you come get me? And I'm talking to all you people listening on this podcast right now. You cannot drink somebody's name through crap. So all these people out here who brought my name into this and thought that I was this person, where's your name? Where's your pride? Because that's all you got. I have honor. I have courage. And I have commitment. I took my oath in the United States Navy age of 17 years old, delayed entry program right here in Eugene, Oregon. I've got plenty of, of honor and spine. And that's why I'm on your show today. Just about Michael. But because of the situation, these people's actions has affected everybody around them globally, and they need to answer for it. To have the audacity to put it on someone, 40 people, which is now six, as we speak. I asked the other day how many people of that six were the six investment owners of that bus. Almost all of them. So that bus is group-owned? This is this is factual. That bus is group-owned. I was the only person the twins bought it because they were bragging. Right. Oh, yeah, we're going to go drop 
um, you know, he got all this cash. You know, he just got all cash to go down and drop it on this bus. That's all they could fucking talk about was, and it was a big event. I understood that it was cool. It's like, yeah, hooray for you. Yeah, but when you're snotty and pissy about it, you know, it's like, and then they, they, they came back, they were up, they got back up there, uh, with that bus. And, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool to look at. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but it's just a bus. But they yeah, had it but, kind of know, set up I, to be yeah, a party I, bus. I mean, it was turned into, it was a school bus turned party they bus. They bought it that way. Oh, okay. They bought it that way. Okay. So how so many people I own that bus? From the exterior. Um, I thought it was just them, but I found out recently with other information that six people own that bus. And I asked um, Parrish, Parrish, how many of those people own, um, who bought that bus are part of the six people who are in that group still who are keeping their story. Most of them. I mean, I couldn't tell you which one was which. I, I don't know them. I will say that the twins are two of the six, but I okay. don't know the other four. Gotcha. Okay. That's my implication. So let's go back then. You wake up, Michael's missing. Somebody asked you casually. That's eight or nine o'clock. Um, and what happens at that point? Other people, what happens at eight or nine? Oh, no, everybody. I mean, once, once the Michael was being brought up, everybody went about doing what they were doing. Okay. Till what time? And about, about, let's see, I started breaking down camp because I was going to get a ride back to town from Michelle Edwards um, because I had to leave two, Thursday morning for my, uh, uh, my next, um, next event, a gathering. I, I was going up to up in the woods and which um, involved uh, a friend's family who was up from Southern Oregon. Uh, Blue River. So and you were supposed to get a ride? At one point, Michelle came up to me and says, Warren, I, I went and I found you a ride home. I won't be taking you back. She's like, I'm going to stay here and, and help with Michael. That was probably about 1045, 11 o'clock when I heard. When did you meet Michael? Or did you meet Michael, I guess? I never met uh, Michael Bryson. I oh never met God. him. Oh, my gosh. Um, I've seen pictures of him, and I sat here and tried to think about it. He might have been sitting in the same circle that a joint was being passed around in, but I never spoke to the young man personally. Okay. The first person who even showed interest, I mean, people were already sort of looking around, like if he'd fallen asleep up in the woods or a ditch, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the first time I ever actually heard that Michael needed to be looked for was from Michelle Edwards. And she said, and that's why she got me the ride back into Eugene um, from my neighbor, um, so we how come um, you guys didn't stay past what? What did you say it was noon? We left at eleven thirty a.m. At eleven thirty, okay. And at that point, was there already people, was there already like an organized search going where like people were you know nope. writing nope. being written nope. down on nope. some sort of list or any type of writing nope. organization? Nothing. Nothing. Everybody was still still more, more worried about their cup of coffee and and you know. And Ben, there was no sense of urgency at the time I left. There was still no sense of urgency. And so, do you know Ben Primal, the guy who Michael wrote up with, the DJ? I do not. You don't. I know. do recognize his picture. Yeah, he was on Facebook. Yeah, and yeah. I heard Ben was his good friend. I eventually figured out Natalie was his ex girlfriend. She wasn't there and either. I also, right? No, she was not present. Okay, so you leave at 11.30, you get back into town with Jake. Oh, I just reset my, my, my back set, my gear, my backpack, and uh, took a shower and went down and got a uh, you know, bottle of whiskey and beer and made a steak and I had dinner and hung out at home. And, and then the next morning, um, I got picked up again by other friends to go up to the river. Even when I got back from this trip, Amanda, mm-hmm. I still did not know 
the severity of Michael Bryson's disappearance. The only thing that was involved in my life, and this ties in a bit, is I told you about my assault charge from April 2014, uh, mm-hmm. 17, right? Well, my ex-girlfriend um, had gone down to the courthouse and just three days after Michael went missing and pulled that VA paperwork pressing charges against me for assault for domestic violence. And she infiltrated 10 groups all in Eugene. Eugene's my hometown. I know a lot of people. She and went she and got a copy those groups of the... and businesses locally. And she copied it out and she got a lot of people pissed off, especially one of my good friend's sisters who was more worried that I thought that, that her sister slept with somebody. So they had motives. So they went around and just leafed Eugene with this information. My whole neighborhood specifically. This whole, old, like the old, me. I mean, they went around saying like, hey, by the way, three years ago, we had this issue. Well, see, the Facebook post that initially smeared me for this barely had pictures in which you could see dates of the copyrights on those stamps. They weren't even filed until August of 2017. So they took this paperwork and they put it all over social media, Eugene Predator websites. Um, they put this shit out all over the place. I happily graduated. Okay, so um, why now? I didn't know that at first, Amanda. I couldn't wow. figure it out until last week. Why my and this is why my name was so amplified as well because this all ties in to a big conspiracy, and I couldn't figure out why. And I didn't never want to make it personal against me because yeah, I did get into assault for domestic violence charge, mm-hmm. which was dropped to assault for you know. And I was okay, cool. I can deal with this. I never added it up, but the other day I was talking and I just gotten off the phone with her, and I I uh, get uh, I was getting off the phone. I said, by the way, Miss Person, I was like, can you tell me one thing? Can you tell me? who the first person who ever said my name was. And she's like, yeah, I think it starts with an S. Let me go check. It's in my book. And I'm like, no way. And she came back and she said my ex-girlfriend's name, the same woman who took this assault per charge paperwork all around the community, got people stirred up against me three days after Michael witness. And she knows a lot of people here in the Whitaker. She has addiction problems too. That's what gives me motive. And that's why she wants reward money. But I don't know why she went out and had other people do her dirty work then. The one who, who came to my house and threatened me with some bullshit MC crew here in town. Um, uh, Somebody came to your house and, and literally came to my front door and threatened my life, which my property manager recorded the hits, the whole incident. Um, wow. She intentionally maliciously got into people's under their skin and into their heads to come get me while she lost. And this is why I added up with my ex-girlfriend. She came into my house after I'd already blocked her and told her never to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, she kept coming back to my house. And the third time she did it, she asked, she came in right in my front door and asked me if I could find her $200 of methamphetamine. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she says, well, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. And my new boyfriend wants some. And I'm like, well, get out of my house. Yeah. She said, well, you can find it. Can't you? You live in the Whitaker. And so when, when Tina told me that name, I started going back through the intuitive website on Facebook and I started talking to people. And because she had blocked me, even on the page where everybody has stuff, I could not see her posts, but I started seeing her name and replies to what people wrote back to her. And she intentionally plants my name through here. I've talked to them personally on the phone, and they say that she intentionally and just tries to forcibly drill what type of a person she believes I am into their heads. Hmm. People had to block her and call the cops for harassment as well. So I want to know, all these people who knew... This is where this ties in pretty crazy, Amanda. Mm-hmm. And yes, this is about Michael, but they made it about me because 40 people say Born did it because of those things in my life I told you about that I have, my credentials, my background, my right. education, my lifestyle. Right. Woods, I am a loner. Um, I, 
know if it would help get closer to Michael Bryson or whereabouts, but why did 40 people who don't know me all of a sudden know me? The ringleaders are the ones who teach the troops. So who taught the ringleader, first of all? So, you know, why did 40 people off that bus, including the girls, the twins, those are part of the 40 people, part of the six remaining. Mm-hmm. Who told them about my background and why do all these people in my neighborhood think I'm a woman beater, but it was proven that I wasn't? And mm-hmm. why do all these people think that I have a personal vendetta with Michael Bryson for some reason? Never had met the young man. I wish I would have. I sat across from Paris the other day at lunch, Amanda, and he was trying to tell me who his boy was and he was getting emotional. I was like, sir, I was like, I know exactly who your son is because I'm that, I'm that guy too. Mm-hmm. That Boy Scout, that Cub Scout. I grew up to Crow High School. I, I We played Harrisburg in, the, in those small leagues. Oh, yeah. You know, we graduated 30 kids in the class. I grew up that way, 3,600-acre beef ranch. I grew up in that, like Michael did. I grew up with, with that, that type of town, that lifestyle. I grew up with that respect that man had. And I'm also that guy that, is, that has been an addict that struggles with addiction. Yeah. I've also been that guy that everyone loves. I've also been that guy who who tries to help anybody out and doesn't know a stranger. That's me. And if people, the people who do really know me, mm-hmm. the people who have supported me throughout this know that. And what they've also done wrong was I have, they didn't realize I have gotten so much support from the community and not my community. Everybody wants me <laughs> gone here in, in the Whitaker. I mean, I don't feel safe at all. I've actually for my life. Really? Um, but the people globally who have reached out to me. Sure. I have I have made a lot of friends, and like Yamamoto said when he was informed of the uh, victory at Pearl Harbor in December of '41, how he felt about it. He simply he, he acknowledged the victory, but he simply said in a short-term quote, "I only believe we have awoken the sleeping giant." Okay. And these kids didn't know me. <laughs> That's yeah, why still don't. <laughs> I am here. It's because I I have had so there's so many people in the world who think that they know me, and I wish if Michael's got seventeen thousand followers. All you 17,000 plus are my friends because this is for Michael. Wow. That but is... to have some tied into it like this, it goes a little bit deeper. And I've talked to Parrish. I feel that Michael um, was possibly alive when he left that campground. I don't think he left that campground hurt or harmed. I think he left that campground alive with somebody okay. and didn't come back. And that's why you know, I've, I've, I've done uh, search and rescue and uh, in training. It, it's you find something. You right. find cases. You always find something. There's something. There's a clue. The Bisons have no clues. Right. Nothing. No hat. No shoes. There's nothing. Yes. Law enforcement won't do shit. And yeah. they can't because they can't arrest everybody. Everybody online is like, oh, they should arrest all these people. Let's, you know, no, you got to subpoena Apple yeah, or, or, or Verizon. You got people's phones. You got to subpoena this shit. And right. that's a federal level judge almost. Of course. It has a process. Um, that's or, why. Or, and then if they do get arrested and process them, 72 hours is what they have to charge somebody with. So they got to have something for people. Yeah, you better make it count. Absolutely. Michael's Army, you guys are listening to me. You don't know me. I don't know you, but we will stand side by side. Michael Bryson will have his victory. Parrish and Tina will have that sense of whatever that word may be for them. I can't tell you what that word is for them. They need closure. That's a good one. I don't think they'll ever have closure, though, honestly, Amanda. I hope not. I've talked to these people for hours. Yeah. They're a beautiful, amazing family. Beautiful. I'm going to adopt them as parents. I've never felt so much energy yeah. from this. And I deal with anxiety daily in a, in a very, very difficult way. And, and it's it's been an emotional ride because, you know, COVID already, they already tell veterans not to seclude. And then they, COVID, 
And then this happens where somebody maliciously separates me from the rest of my outside support group. And then all this, and then people driving by my house, I'll go on this gracious. People don't even talk to me anymore. People, I don't even go to the grocery stores around here. Everyone just looks at me like I'm a big pile of shit. Really? You feel like they recognize you? They know you? Wow. Oh, yes. My, my picture has been put all over female rights groups in Eugene and went out and just distributed among the community right after this and then started getting on Michael Bryce's intuitive prayer page and forcing my name down people's throat. The biggest question I hear come up, why now? Why are you coming forward now? Where have you been for the last that's what 77 I heard too. <laughs> Um That's a good question, Amanda. Since I have gotten back and talked to um, the first of three detectives, here's another twist. Since I have gotten back um, from my camp trip a couple weeks after Michael's disappearance began, and I first started figuring out what was going on, and that's when EPD came up to me. But I'd already gotten a call from an investigator before that. I got a call when I got back about needing to return a phone call to a Miss Julie uh, Jonas, uh, who is uh, an investigator with the Michael um, Bryson case. She identified herself as a private detective hired by the Bryson family, also representing Michelle. That lived in Cottage Grove, family friend, neighbor down the road. The other day when I had lunch with Parrish and uh, one of other Michael's Army, the whole time we're trying to add dots up and and exchanging information, and he's sitting there, and he's like, wait a minute, you talked to three private eyes? I'm like, yeah. He's like, we've only hired two. And I named them off, and he's like, Julie? like, yeah. And if you follow those threads on Michael's page now, Julie Jonas impersonated Actually, yes, I actually just representative in order to get information and then come to find out, guess whose mother um, she is, Donovan's mother. She lives, she doesn't even live in the state of Oregon. Donovan's mother was impersonating, yes, the Donovan from all the podcasts and all these videos next to the Bryson's. Yeah. His mother reached out to me before I even spoke to law enforcement, impersonating law enforcement. Okay, to so- get questioning off me and I gave her I gave her the same story I'm telling you now and it showed imagine Donovan's mom being able to transfer everything they know back to the whole group from the beginning 40 people point the finger someone's mom sounds like a cop calls me up knowing that I'm part of military and I respect authority and so I'm gonna I'm gonna work with everybody right why I have been in this since day one you know I didn't know about Michael Bryson's pages you know I, I I don't watch, I watch movies, but I don't watch the news. I don't watch TV. I don't read the newspaper. Right. And you didn't know who he was anyways. If I open my computer, I'm using it for journaling for um, uh, the free-for-all newspaper here in Springfield, or I'm writing memoirs. I do a lot of writing and typing. I never knew Michael. I didn't know my friend was missing until I started figuring stuff out as it came. Okay. And one of the best things about it is a lot of my friends were Michael's friends. And a lot of the friends who knew Michael Bryson mm-hmm. very well yeah. and know me very well, they are happy that I am doing okay and that I'm helping their family out. Yeah, and that's why I kind of wanted to just let you, like, if people have questions, great, you know, here they are. Here's everything. That's exactly what, what I told you. How do you like your coffee? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so, I mean, the short answer to that question. I've always know, been here. Well. I have been here the whole time. And when I asked, I put on social media about the, uh, the the gathering in Harrisburg, I asked, can anybody take me out here? People hated me at this point. No one wanted to help me at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked if I could get a ride out there. You know, the people who I knew 
mm-hmm. because of this assault charge shit in my neighborhood, I instantly didn't have any friends. Instantly, people wanted my head on a plate. Um, yeah. Amanda, <laughs> Ooh, girl. Oh, I hear people you, man. I'm like, I'm coping very well with this, Good and the one thing that's keeping me going is all the people who support me. Yeah, and all you, all you, uh, all you people listening on this podcast right now. There's my door. Here's my phone number. Here's how do you like your coffee? Yeah, I hear. Same you. with the people who don't like me. That's it. I have uh, nothing but dedicated yeah. every single waking moment of my day. Every time I wake up. My phone is blasting with emails and, and social media attacks in which and people calling me. I had to put my phone on um, some setting where it restricts, it, it silences all unknown calls. Mm-hmm. And I got voicemails and people from all over the country. I even had somebody put a mark out on me. I don't know if they were paid or not or favored. It seems like more of a favor to dig up dirt on somebody. Mm-hmm. And they call you because they couldn't find anything worth a shit. And they say, this is wrong. Right. Nothing's going to happen to you. But you need to know that these people have a mark on you. And I'm like, a mark? You tell a veteran that they're on a they're mark? That's a sign. That's serious. That is very serious. You, it's like you're being targeted. You're being hit, put a hit on. How would you feel if you found out somebody put a mark on you? That's what this gentleman did. I have a mark out on me. Not anymore. But now it's gone. You got that resolved. And that's that just... resolved. Not from the gentleman. I, I know who the gentleman was, though, and I understand why. Mm-hmm. And at the time of it happening, I can understand why. And like I said, the people who are angry at me who do not know me, it's not their fault. I understand their perception and value, and I understand anger is a secondary emotion. Know your triggers, though, so guys. Yeah. Let's know our fat. No, no one deserves to be treated this way. But just like no, Michael didn't deserve to be treated the way he did up there. Mm-hmm. What, whatever happened to Michael, he didn't deserve that. I just, I just feel that I was up there for a reason. I didn't know anybody up there, neither did Michael. Right. And I don't know if you're premonitional or spiritual or believe that you're supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time. Sure. Totally premonition. But the way I look back at it now, I told Paris the other day, like, I feel like I know your son. I feel like it, I feel Michael in me so much. His spirit is with everybody. But I was just telling his his mom and dad right before I got on this interview with you, I was telling his mom and dad, I feel he's sitting right here next to that boy's life and energy is amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Whoever did this to him is going to answer for it. And whoever did it to me, I'm, I'm on Michael's army. I'm in Michael's army. So good. I am part of this army. I've devoted my every waking moment to that family. And I will until this is figured out. And I will probably for the rest of my life know that family. I hope I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. It's so what do you think happened? I, I mean, I know we happened. just said that we don't know. And it's speculation. You're mm-hmm. thinking he left in a car. But you have more knowledge than most of the army all put together. We didn't get to be... I've been told by investigators I have the most clarity out of anybody, out of any storyline. Well, then perfect. You're the perfect person to ask. Like, why do you think that he left in a car? This is something that we were sort of talking about. Um, It's not just me, but a group of us think that Michael left that place in in a car Mm -hmm. and was alive. What makes you feel that way? There are... There's reports of a firearm being discharged, and there's multiple other people who are suspect in which things coming up and adding together throughout the list. And Michael owed people a lot of money, I heard. Thousands and uh, thousands of dollars. Not a couple thousand, not 2,000, not 3,000, more than that. Almost yeah. almost 10K, I heard. There was a BMW. There's a really, really damn nice motorcycle mm-hmm. up there. That wasn't up there. I just thought of that. Now I remember, this is a really damn nice, very expensive motorcycle. Holy shit. It's a gray BMW motorcycle, I think. 
the man who uh, was under felony arrest in Boise, Idaho, Washington, um, growing up down there in Cape Junction. That's a big, big drug transferring town. Everybody knows that you don't have to be a part of it, of the drug industry, to know that Cape Junction, Oregon is a huge meth issue. And I recognized him from that area. So I started calling people and verifying it, that this was that guy. And it was, it was weird. I've also, you know, because there's been disillusion this whole time, not only with Julie the investigator or, or people on social media attacking, there's so many lies. So what do you think is like the number one, the biggest people you don't know, if anything? We need to find who, who had that car. Because um, I don't know if the twins went back to town or not that night. But I do know that a car left with four people in it to go to Cottage Grove to get shit. And they ended up not coming back till 3.30 in the morning with nobody's shit. And we that know that there was one male, one younger male, but it wasn't... Correct. It wasn't anybody that you know, like... I had no other names of the occupants of that car. Or I and or I could not verify if there was four minutes when they left, honestly. Okay. But I asked if I could get in that car to go to town. They said, no, it's full. There's already, it's already, there's, there's four of us going. That's how I know the number. There's already four of us. Right. Okay. So we don't even know, like, two boys, two girls. We know nothing. morning, where's my Coca-Cola and my... I'm sorry, man, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. No, you're fine. No, no. Uh, so Coca-Cola and cigarettes never showed up. Did you ever ask anybody, like, hey, yeah. who was that kid who took my $20? Yeah, anyway. Wednesday morning, right when I woke up, I asked Lazarus. Hey, bud, you see, uh, where's that guy who had that stuff? You know, I need my, I might have my Coca-Cola and my, and my cigarettes and, and, you know, really snotty attitude. I don't know. Go find them. They didn't even get back until last night. They didn't get back till late. I'm like, what do you mean? They didn't get back till 3.30 in the morning. That's what I was told by Lazarus. So now I add this up. Oh, okay. Eugene. And then I see all this shit about the girls going to town. It's like, where, where did they get this information? How did this, is this part of their statement? You know? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it ended up starting. No, I've heard all this that information going around. It's just like, where's this credential? Where's this hmm. credential statement? And why is all these little bullshit little one-liners coming up every once in a while? I've been in here since day one. And so what, the main the thing, too, I've been here. like with Donovan's statement that at eight, eight or nine, when he woke up, everyone was out looking, um, yelling Michael's uh-huh. name. And then uh-huh. from there, um, nope. he says Michelle set up a food station, a water station and a list. And that was after I left, that was after you left. And we already had you know? that, that supposed food station. Yeah. So we had the biggest food station out of any any of the camps because we were the only smart enough to bring up the food and coolers. Everybody was over at our camp because we were the ones who had the stoves and, and you know, people were, were doing their thing up above where the big party was. But, I mean, that, that, that cook station, she, everything was there. I mean, her and just because I had a, everything there that would accommodate. But no one no one took names. I also heard Michelle was in trouble because she didn't tell anybody about my name initially, mm-hmm. which just seems like a cover-up because of this, if there's 40 people shit. You know, that would make it look like Michelle knew something about me. If she didn't dissolve this information of my name when everybody was there and they could have said it anyway. Right. And the other point is, is do you think that somebody, do you think that somebody who, who is that messed up could make somebody disappear? You know, no. think about that. It's not being so personally um, perceptive because that's what got me in this whole people's perception. Yeah. And underestimate me. I mean, this all, this is all about a party and drugs. And the disappearance of Michael Bryce. There was a party with music, drugs, men, women, cats, dogs, trees, water. Yeah, cool. Michael Bryson's missing. And something happened at that party. What his father and I have 
talked about is um, along with other stuff that I didn't know about even. We've, we came to the conclusion that we think that he was taken from there. Not taken as in forcefully, but he left with knowledgeable friendship. And he was under the impression that the people who we were going with were cool. Mm-hmm. But Michael did have a lot of people money. And there was one of the largest drug dealers in the Pacific Northwest with the county's drug dealer right there at the same time. He get, this guy has so many arrests in three different states up here. To anybody who asks why I left Wednesday and didn't stay and help was because, uh, one, Michelle knew that I had to be back Wednesday. That's why she arranged me a ride, because she was supposed to be the one to take me back into town Wednesday morning. Okay. Because I had to leave Thursday morning. That was, that was your plan. all along, and that's why she arranged it with my neighbor, Jake, because she knew that Jake was my neighbor. Okay. Because <laughs> that's how me and Michelle met, was through a mutual friend, not Jake, but another one. Okay. And they, they lived right on the same... One block away. Okay, so that's an easy, you know... And it was convenient, and I even asked, um, do you need anything? Do you need to stay? And she's like, no, just go, hon. You know, it's okay. Um, I'm going to stay here for Michael. And it wasn't just about anybody else. It wasn't, we're needing to start this now. It was, I'm going to stay here and look for Michael. And because, uh, you know, that's when people started to get up and around that I saw, that anyone gave a crap, you know, started initiating in um, the most minimal amount of, oh, let's go look for Michael. Right, and you weren't thinking that it was really severe no, no. that you needed to stay. It was At that point, it was still kind of not like... Yeah, it was, oh, it's okay. Michelle was told me, she's like, no, you go home. I'm going to stay up here and um, and take care of this, you know. Mm-hmm. That's when everybody started to look for Michael, and, and, my, and Michelle's mom, you know, she had all good intent, you know. Mm-hmm. This woman is being attacked, too, and how I feel about it is that she was kind to me the whole time. I didn't see her upset with anybody else up there. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, I'm the one who bandied her foot up, you People think that because she had a, an ankle injury or she was limping that it could have been due to, uh, you know, dragging a dead body, which is why everybody told me I'm big enough. But just like with me, I have a bilateral wedge fracture, T5, T6. I have an artificial knee joint also. Okay. And, you know. So they were kind of trying to use that like, as like a... That, people didn't know that. People were, were saying, oh, Michelle's got this injury. And it's like, no, I'm the one who actually, you know, I, I, you know, I bandaged her up and made sure that I gave her assessment on the ankle see if it was broken or not when she heard it what happened to her ankle so, how'd she hurt uh i think she walking down to the swim hole there's a bunch of those round river rocks you mm-hmm. know like thunder egg mm-hmm. like, like bigger rocks and and excuse me, i i stepped off wrong you know anybody could do that you could pop an ankle up there easy in those yeah streets. no it's so thick i mean come on people yeah. good lord it's just another thing to point a finger and make perception about without knowledge or facts i mean i don't I think, think you should that... get those twins on the video i, I think they're chicken there. shit I'm going to call them out right now on this podcast. The bishop twins, if y'all so innocent and just point the finger at me with your 40 people, my army's bigger than yours. Michael's army's way bigger than you are. And you guys need to come in and sit down and talk. You're chicken shit. You know it. You're related to people in your industry. Okay? You're not above anybody else, just like I'm not above anybody else, exactly. just like anybody else. It's not about anything else anymore but Michael. And they have, anybody has been given plenty of opportunity to, to come forward. I talked to Mark, the investigator, for a month before, and I kept asking him, can I talk to Michael's parents? And he's like, well, we're talking to me still. And eventually, the whole time he's conversating with pa- uh, Tina and Parrish with me from day one, mm-hmm. when I started talking to, to Mark, and eventually they were ready to talk. I want Donovan to answer, why is your mom acting? As a private investigator from the state of Oregon who lives in Cottage Grove, who knows Michelle Edwards, why are you calling me 
misleading me for your boy to relay back to the whole crew. Why would a mother give information back to her son, who's also a suspect in a missing persons report, who can relay that message to everybody else who's pointing the finger at me? So, yeah. I she mean, was the first person that talked to me. She knew everything that I'm telling you tonight. But she knew it way that, long ago. Well, not everything, because we've come a lot farther sure. with this investigation than a lot of us. Like I said, I've been here the whole time. So, I think Michael was taken from that campground without the information of ill intent, and he wasn't brought back. I don't think Michael, anything happened up there to Michael, because if anything happened up there to Michael Bryson, and 40 people said my name, you don't think that those 40 people would have a problem whooping the ass to some kid who didn't know anybody else there, right? They would have those called you out day one. Me. Yeah, agreed. They would have called me up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten out of there. No. You know? I agree with that. The way I put it, and I talked to Paris about this, if Michael walked onto that bus, when you wake up in the morning or you're walking down the street and you see your neighbors, your friends in their house, you know, you wave through the window, right? Mm-hmm. If Michael woke up and was just, even if he went to take a, take a piss in the morning and he was walking back or walking by that bus and he saw people he already knew because he was supposed to come up with the twins initially, but he came up with that. Instead. Right, right. If he saw those people, You'd walk on and be like, hey, guys, it's a party, right? You'd be yeah. like, what's going on? Yeah. How's your night? You know, you know, you have no reason to not. But if he saw something, though, if he saw something that he wasn't supposed to see at 4 a.m. on a bus, whether it's a financial trade of, of, of weight in a drug deal, mm-hmm. it didn't matter who his best friends were or not. If his best friends were even up there, it wouldn't matter because in that type of a trade, in, in the horrible drug world, the people, the big guys, mm-hmm. those are the people who make the rules happen. And that's that's why safety issues come concerned with this, because if it goes up as high as we think, and it could involve certain people, and if Michael was murdered with a firearm, then anybody is a point mm-hmm. for anybody here. Anybody could go bye-bye, yep. just like they made Michael go bye-bye. Yeah, and I think we all need to be, anybody who's touched this case needs to be very careful. That was a lot of information. And if you're anything like me, it's going to take you a while to process it all. While we do, I want everyone to remember the things that we talked about. Confirmation bias, the mob mentality, and the final one I want to talk about is reputations. Reputations are a very vulnerable thing. They work like a ripple effect. What we don't want to do is pass around rumors as fact. These rumors will get passed from person to person, each adding a detail here or there until they're unrecognizable. Reputations have a way of following people, especially in a town like Eugene, so we need to be careful. One life may have already been lost. We don't want to unjustly ruin any others. Next time on Nowhere to Be Found. Yeah, my name is Mark Perkins. I'm a, a licensed private investigator in California, have been for the past 25 years. There, you know, people claiming that they're the last to see Michael and they immediately, you know, jumped on it and roused in people in tents. But then you talk to other people that have, have no clue that, you know, that that ever happened, happened, happened. We've been asked how our listeners can contribute to the show. 
so we set up an account with Patreon. Check out the link in our show notes if you're interested in supporting our cause. You can also find it on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com.